0: Welcome to the Lawn and Garden Podcast with University of Wyoming Extension Specialist Jeff Edwards and co-host Jerry Erschebeck. Originally aired on KGOS and KERM in Torrington, join Jeff, Jerry, and their special guests as they talk all things gardening in Wyoming. Our Lawn and Garden Podcast helps you improve your home garden or small acreage.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards for the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. With me today, my co-host is Jerry Urshebeck. Good morning, Jerry. Morning, Jeff. Also, our guest today is Gary Stone. He's an extension educator from uh, the Panhandle Station over in Scotts Bluff. And uh, good morning, Gary. How are you?
2: Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Jerry. How's everything going?
1: Good, Gary. Thank you. Just really good, thank you. Uh, We're glad to have you with us. Let's take a few moments and listen to our sponsors, and we'll be back in a bit.
0: Looking for the best way to keep up with all the news from University of Wyoming Extension, the College of Agriculture, and Wyoming Ag Experiment Stations? The uwagnews.com website features real-time education, research and extension events, and feature stories from across the state. Bookmark UWAGnews.com today and subscribe to our monthly email newsletter. UWAGnews.com, growing people, knowledge, and communities.
1: All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshabek with the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. In studio with us today is uh, Gary Stone, and we are happy to have him here. And I think we're going to spend some time talking about turf, and grasshoppers, and weeds, and I'm going to turn the floor over to you, Gary. Let's get going. What do you want to talk Alrighty. about? Well,
2: let's see. Uh, pre-emergent products for control of crabgrass. Uh, they probably should have went out when soil temperature was 55 degrees, but, you know, things have been kind of cool. Soil temperature's up around 63, 64 degrees, so if you haven't put it out yet, uh, you can still put those out and uh, hopefully get some control of your crabgrass. Gary,
1: Post- before before we move on from crabgrass, is it too early to apply pre emergent for control of sandburrs or puncture vine if you happen to have those issues in turf?
2: No, it is not. It would be a good time to apply those because those germinate actually, you know, a little bit, actually about this type of soil temperature, around the 64, yeah. 65 degree temperature. So, yeah, yeah get those out.
1: I, I kind of use, I don't know if this is correct or not, but I kind of use the, uh, cottonwood, cotton flying. If I can get it out, if I can get a pre-emergent out before that's done, I think I'm feeling pretty good about my pre-emergent weed control. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, the one thing about all three of those, so the crabgrass, puncher vine and the samber, they will germinate throughout the year anyway. So right. uh, get yeah. it out, get your pre out and, uh, you know if you've got time and at uh, maybe five six weeks later you need a second application and the product allows it you can put out a second application
1: yeah you know crabgrass to me is a minor nuisance uh, it's sandburrs that i don't like oh. in my
2: turf Sandburrs and puncture vine absolutely those are the worst yeah especially you know, if
3: one wants to try to walk across it barefooted yeah well and puncture vine you can't mow
1: right it it grows flat so you aren't going to get it with a lawnmower other than picking up the seeds with the tires. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So we've got a chunk of, I've kind of derailed the conversation a little bit, but we have a, one area of our turf that is notorious for having sandburrs in it every year. And I've always seemed to be a little bit late getting those things taken care of. And another way to manage them is to save that area and mow it last so that you're not picking those things up and taking them to new places that don't have that infestation. So, you know, if you're not able to get a pre-emergent product out and you have weeds that get away from you still, if you want to, it's one of those cultural control type things that we can do to try to manage things, even though they might've got away from us this year and then get ready for next year. Right.
2: (laughs) That's right. So anyway, some uh, post uh, products to put out. Uh, I know I see a lot of dandelions. It's kind of a catch-22. Our bees, those are some of the first things that come out and flower, and that's what our bees visit. But on the other hand, uh, they certainly can be a nuisance weed. And when I'm out mowing, I guess I kind of sacrifice my bees a little bit, and I've got my little two-edged prong or fork or whatever. And I cut out every dandelion I see, at least least in the lawn anyway.
1: Yeah. So you're doing um, manual control, just hand removal at this point in time, right? Yes. You know, I get a lot of calls this time of year, people asking me what they should use on their dandelions. And right now it's hand pulling them. Chemically, it's one of those things that if you can treat in the fall, that would be better. Would you not agree?
2: Absolutely. Fall would be the best time to treat for dandelions. And if you do that, you'll really knock them back.
3: Jerry, are you digging dandelions? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not. I'm I'm mowing dandelions. You know, I have seen people in the past carry a little squirt bottle with them while they're mowing the lawn. And, and you'll see some of them bending over to the side and squirting it do those spot sprays really work? Are they beneficial?
2: Well, again, in the fall is the best time to treat. But this time of year, they're just going to knock them back a little bit, but the root's still there, so they're going to come back. They may not flower, but the plant's still going to be there. So
1: You're, you're uh, just going to make them angry.
2: Yeah, so if they're taking the time to, <laughs> to spray, they might as well take the time to uh, dig them out with that fork while they're doing it, and, and they'll be much further along.
3: Little harder with the fork leaning over a riding lawnmower, huh? Oh
2: well Push. if it's a riding lawnmower, yeah, that's one thing. Push lawnmowers is
3: <laughs> a different, different story.
1: Especially if yeah. it's a fifty six inch disc or a deck. I don't think your arms are long enough to get there, are they?
3: Probably not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so uh, dandelions, what other things might be showing up in turf right now that people are concerned about, Gary?
2: uh snakes of all things i've had a few calls on snakes what do we do and i say there's not much you can do if you've got a a lot of uh, vegetative cover maybe around a fence or something They're, they're they're just out looking for insects uh maybe some small frogs or something like that earthworms so get rid of the cover like you would for voles and probably your snakes will go away
1: yeah yeah, that's, uh, so this, this, I don't know if you guys have noticed a lot of snakes, but this spring has been, I've seen more snakes this year than I have in the most recent past. Uh,
3: I haven't seen a lot of snakes, but I, I have a, a real good method of, of avoiding snakes. Running Avoid the other snakes. way? Yeah, go, run the other way. <laughs> Scream like a girl, run the other way.
2: Now now most of the snakes are the garter snakes or the water snakes, maybe occasional bull snake, hopefully no rattlesnakes.
3: Yeah, Gary, it doesn't doesn't matter.
2: It doesn't matter for you, Jerry.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It does not matter. Snake, run. Well, scream and then run.
2: You know, the one thing about them, you uh, can't move them over 100 yards legally. Oh, really? Interesting. Um, that's That's a federal law.
1: Back in April, I was peering into my window wells, basement window wells, and uh, there was one of the hog nose type snakes, the ones that turn over and play dead if they can't get away. And I was able to get it out of there and um, move it less than 100 yards away. (laughs) (laughs) But we have those, they they show up, uh, April, I thought, wow, that's kind of a weird time of year for a for a snake to show up but um he was slow enough that uh, it didn't it didn't really matter, <laughs> didn't matter huh? <laughs> but they get in our window wells and they're uh, they're going after the toads that live down in there i think
2: oh really okay yeah good.
1: yeah so yeah all, all sorts of interesting critters
2: so you ask about other uh critters while we're talking about critters i guess we could talk a little bit about grubs most of the product that you put out for uh, grubs or at least the one I'm thinking of, it usually has a 90-day window of management. So if you back it off August, July, June, now's the time to be putting that product out too. And uh, And most
1: of those products have to be watered in, correct?
2: Yes, they do. Usually they are granular if you do it yourself like I do, and then I run the sprinkler and get about a good quarter to a half inch and water it in.
1: Or or a well-timed rain would be helpful.
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, other insects, uh, I guess we wanted to kind of talk about grasshoppers. They're just starting to come on just a little bit. may want to wait just a little longer just to maybe catch a second flush. So if you're only going to do one application, you can catch the first two with one treatment and then see what happens. Maybe save yeah, a little it's money.
1: It's important to treat for them now, regardless of what your treatment method is, because it's a whole lot easier to eliminate the smaller ones than it is the bigger ones. Absolutely. But we notice Absolutely. the bigger ones more later in the season.
2: And actually, you know, uh, even a month ago, I've seen some that overwintered out, flying around, jumping around, pretty good size. So it's always fascinating how they can do that. And where they hole up for the winter it just makes you yeah. wonder.
1: Yeah. Bugs are cool.
2: They are. <laughs>
1: they really are. Hey, I keep, I keep hearing in the news that uh, this is the 17th year of the 17-year cicadas, and we're just going to have a great big flush of those things. But around here, you know, they're not cyclical like that. They're out every single year.
2: You know, I, I guess I haven't seen them around my place, so you'd have to okay. enlighten me a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I, and... Uh, it's just one of those things that air about every August and what what's that wives tale, Jerry, about the first time you hear cicadas, then it's how many weeks until it freezes?
3: Six weeks until it freezes. Is that a heavy frost or a freeze? It's just a freeze. But, you know, <laughs> there they're again, those are those old, old time stories. And I'm not sure that they're in this farmer's almanac, you know, but uh, some of them are and... I've not seen it scientifically proven, but my wife will always say, Hup, you hear them singing, six weeks. And, you know, sometimes we're pretty close, September. I
1: uh, I, I try to not listen to them <laughs> when, when they're out in July.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you, that this morning it got pretty close. What We were down to, what, 36, 37? Um, it's most of the panhandle in eastern Wyoming.
1: Yeah, so we were 32, but, you know. Really? That was, that was four days ago.
2: Jeez. Well, I know my uh, younger brother in Idaho Falls sent some photos out uh, here a couple of days ago and looked like they had about two or three inches of snow on the ground.
1: Right. Yep. You know, it's that whole um, Mother's Day, Memorial Day, uh, cold potential snowstorm weekends,
3: right? Yep. Time to plant. And now, now the, it looks like the weather pattern is, is going to kick back up and start getting us into the 80s and 90s, even. Yeah, I, I think, think the so. weather. The Weather Channel reported that most of the United States can plan on having a hotter than normal summer 2020. So Goody. that's their prediction. I think Don Day was saying that probably
1: uh, oh, two years ago he gave a presentation at SAREC uh, that uh, indicated that 2020 and 2021 were going to be exceptionally hot years. So I think he's been right about how much wind that we've been uh, getting. <laughs> yeah i'll agree with that it it has been a windy year that's for sure and from every direction which is really odd which uh you know a lot of the wind from the south i think blowing the miller moths in everybody seems to be commenting about them and how how much they're flying around
2: yeah i I cannot believe how many have made their way into the house and i'd like to know where they're coming in at. (laughs) i must have to get about six six a day yeah,
1: it seems Ryan asked, uh, uh, had somebody call the uh, radio station a couple of weeks ago wanting to know a biological control method for keeping moths out of their trees. You know, it's more important to keep them out of your house, isn't it, right?
2: Yeah, well, yeah, I, they're, they're just a nuisance and, a, and, you know, a pain, but they're not causing any damage or any harm. So the, the
1: biological uh, method that I have is a, a vacuum cleaner or... <laughs> Or my dog, when she's feeling up to it, she'll chase them around and eat a few of them. My uh, cat. I guess,
3: yeah, cats like them my too, cats right? love them. <laughs> and here at the office, we have a metal door and it, the metal door faces east. So I have a bunch of Millers or Moss, those little white guys. They'll get in between the door and the, the rubber weather stripping. And then when I open the door, there's like six or seven of them that go, hey, thank you so much <laughs> for opening the door. Well, so now I, to the day. I bang on the door a little bit and that that kind of wakes them up and gets them going
2: <laughs>
3: jeff would uh bt work on that around a doorway or around your windows
1: um no bt is not a repellent and it uh it's a growth regulator that no excuse me that's not correct it is a bacterial uh product that only affects the larva larval stages okay so when they're chewing and eating right Yep, right. they have to be actively eating or feeding on the the substrate that you have applied the product to, in order for it to work. There we yeah. go. Yeah. Sorry, I got, I was distracted by something else. I think.
2: <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> well, what else shall we talk about on lawns that we can think of?
1: So um, let's talk a little bit about uh, knowing when to fertilize, and you know, knowing if you are applying the right amount of moisture and those types of things. Particularly if you know you have a lawn sprinkler system that you've got up and running, but maybe you haven't really checked the output recently, or those types of things. Any any uh, techniques to check and see how much water you're actually putting out, Gary?
2: for my clients down here we do have some little rain gauges that we actually give away although with the covid 19 i don't know how that's gonna how that's gonna work Uh, but anyway in the past and uh, we would give these out there'd be a bag of six of these and they would uh, place them out across the lawn and uh, turn their uh, system on for the time that they had planned to run it and uh, it would you know measure how much water they were putting out and also help kind of de- determine what the pattern was, if it was adequate enough.
1: Can you describe what the little things look like?
2: Well, Is they it... were just little plastic cups with a uh, spike in the bottom so that you push them into the ground and they would, you know, stay upright. Now, if you do have, uh, have a cap and you have a lot of cat food cans, those would work. Those are about to be about the same size okay. as what these plastic cups were and uh, kind of measure, you know, see how much water in each one you know eighth of an inch quarter inch half inch during your uh, set period or your time that you run your sprinkler system and that would give an indication of how much water you're putting out grass water use turf water use uh, this time of year you know it's been cool but like Jerry said we're going to be pushing the 90s according to the weatherman I saw you know starting this weekend uh, up into the 90 92 94 degree range uh i can't wait yeah uh anyway so (laughs) when it's cooler maybe an inch to maybe an inch and a half a week is what your turf would use after that when it starts to get to the heat of the season in the july or these higher temperatures it'll go to maybe two and a half inches of water per week so the homeowner has to be aware of that and uh, set their timers accordingly on their sprinkler systems if they have them or if they're using a hose and sprinklers, just be aware that you might have to go out uh, maybe another time during the week. Other than two times, you might have to be doing it three times instead. So that's kind of what the water use would be and how to check for it. Uh, you know, they turn their systems on and see what the pattern's doing. It's amazing some people, want, well, I'm not getting water here. Well. For some reason, either they drove over that sprinkler head with the lawn mower or whatever and either pushed it down into the ground so it isn't popping up high enough to get the pattern that it was set to do. And so they need to go out there and actually visually see what their sprinklers are doing and if it's getting the coverage that they want.
1: And they do, um, just because of all of that wear and tear, right, if you're driving over them with the mower or whatever, they will self-adjust and the pattern, not necessarily the pattern, but the the throw, the the if they if you're only supposed to cover a half a circle or whatever, that could change over time, uh, and it might not be covering the area that you think that that particular uh, sprinkle head should be doing.
2: Absolutely. The other thing that's real easy to do to check to see if they are getting adequate uh, moisture on their turf is to get a screwdriver with a shank that's uh, six to eight inches long and uh, go out there and probe the. Probe the turf. Uh, if it goes in easily, well, then you know you've got enough moisture for the next two or three days. If it goes in fairly hard, well, you know you need to uh, get your get the water out and get it going.
3: We always happen to see we're driving along and we see somebody's water system that has broken, and they're they're doing an old faithful out the corner of the of their lot, and that's the only spot that's getting wet. And sometimes yeah. you just don't realize that. That's all you have going on. You go well. I'm running my I'm running my sprinklers, but only this other area is green. How come?
2: So
1: yeah,
3: good idea to look at your spray pattern as well. You bet. And
1: yes. and look at look at each zone, right? Uh, turn it on. Make sure all the heads in each zone are operating as they should, and and um, that should be part of the de winterizing of your sprinkle system. Every time you uh, turn it on in the spring, is checking all those out.
2: Yes. I mean, you know, I don't know what the water bills are in town. I know what I pay out here, you know, when I turn the pump on. So, yeah, make good use of that water. It's uh, yeah. not something we can uh, take take lightly.
1: Yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. I, I guess that's the other thing to think about in for folks in Torrington. If there are water restrictions that go into place, uh, you know, certain you can only water on certain days, those types of things. Make sure you pay attention to those.
2: Yeah, you don't want to be watering the street because uh, – that, that, that doesn't grow very much turf out there.
3: <laughs> I, <not> have, <laughs> I have tried to water the flowers here at the office, and, you know, my mind just goes somewhere else and not on my 10 minutes that I'm supposed to be watering. And I just do an irrigation, it's just a, a, a gravity flow. And uh, sometimes it will make the street before I'm like, going, oh, gosh, dang it. Got to get, gotta get that water turned off. And so, you know, I feel bad because you're right. Water in the concrete doesn't grow a thing.
2: Well, you know, what what you need to do, Jerry, is get you one of these little uh, kitchen timers. And uh, and that's what I do around here. If I got like these, uh, you know, calls or something coming in, I'll set it so that I got like a 10-minute buffer. So when it counts down, hey, I don't miss my call or got something in the oven or things like that. So (laughs) you need to buy a little kitchen timer, Jerry. And (laughs) pin it to your shirt.
3: and carry it with us. <laughs>
2: Actually, there are some that you can wear around your neck that, that, that work like that.
3: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be looking for one.
1: Hey, you know, uh, I think this looks like a natural break time. Let's uh, take a few moments and listen to our sponsors. And when we come back, we will uh, spend some more time talking with Gary Stone about yard and garden items. So,
0: Starting May 18th, some University of Wyoming Extension offices will be open to the public. Contact your local office to learn about your county's variances for COVID-19 restrictions. Even if your county remains closed, you can always contact your local educator by phone or email. Go to wyoextension.org to find your county's contact information. You are listening to the Lawn and Garden podcast presented by University of Wyoming Extension. Extending the land-grant mission across the state of Wyoming with a wide variety of educational programs and services. Visit us at wyoextension.org.
1: Okay, we're back. This is Jeff Edwards and Jerry Urshebek with the KGOS KERM Lawn and Garden Program. Our guest today is Gary Stone, and uh, we've been talking about turf and keeping it well-watered and making it look good with a little bit of weed control and so Gary, one of the things that folks think that they need to do is um, uh, fertilize their turf. What type of recommendations do you have to do that? You know, how can, you, how can we self assess whether or not we need to fertilize or if it might be some other type of issue?
2: Well, the ideal way would be, of course, to uh, take a soil test of your turf and see just uh, what you have out there. Uh, soil tests run about uh, 20, $22. Reputable labs, you know, or there's quite a few around here. Well, I shouldn't say quite a few there, but there are the labs, the soil labs that are out here are reputable, so if you'd send it to any one of those, they would do give you a good answer. But Before as we a rule could, of thumb, uh
1: we could also send it to the lab at CSU.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think they're the only uh university run close by soil testing lab that we have because I know Wyoming right. and Nebraska both have closed both of theirs down. Okay. But uh, as a rule of thumb, um, you know, a pound and a half of nitrogen in the spring, and uh, now would be a good time to put it out. Uh, try to get something that has at least 50% slow-release re- nitrogen, and by that I mean it could be sulfur-coated or it could have a poly coat on it. And what that does, that breaks down slowly over time and gradually feeds the turf, A nitrogen source. You don't put a uh, quick uh, release out all at once. A couple of things could happen. One, it could burn the turf. Two, you get a huge massive growth of uh, grass and then nothing. So you want to use a slow release, uh, feed that turf over the long period throughout the summer, especially going into the hotter months of the year when the turf actually wants to not grow because it is a cool season grass. So you just want to maintain it. You don't need a lot of phosphorus generally. Potash, maybe, uh, but again, not much. The other two things that we generally do need in our area are sulfur and iron. Mm-hmm. The sulfur is there to lower the pH uh, to make some of these other nutrients available, and the iron's there to keep the turf nice and green. And I always have to put out a bag or two of iron on my turf just because I know midsummer. It's going to start to turn yellow on me, and it doesn't look good. So I put some iron out, green it up, and we're good to go in into the fall. Yeah,
1: and it perks it right up usually, which is kind yes, of amazing. So th- that's the other thing about iron. If you are, not, I wouldn't say opposed to mowing, but not necessarily enjoy mowing, <laughs> you can put out iron to green it up without causing the turf to grow a lot, correct?
2: Correct. But you still need some nutrients there to, uh, you know, to develop a good root system, so that if it would get into the hotter part of the year, uh, you've got a nice deeper root mass uh, to help, you know, draw on moisture. Water becomes short. Things like that.
3: You're recommending not to throw just plain straight iron on your lawn, then?
2: Uh, you know, I'd still try and shoot for that at least pound, pound and a half this time of year uh, with at least a 50% slow release just to get the grass going, perk it up, get those roots growing down. And then later on, like Jeff said, if it starts to yellow out on us, put some iron and sulfur on and uh, you're good to go throughout the summer.
1: So what do you mean by a pound, a pound and a half? Is that per thousand square feet per yes. acre? Per
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, I should have explained that. That's a pound, pound and a half per thousand square feet and that's okay. actual in. So you need to do some little calculations. If a bag says it's 4600, that's straight nitrogen, quick uh, release, which I do not recommend, but I'm just right. using that as an example. So if you need a pound of that, you would divide one by 0.46, and I don't have my calculator handy, but the, and then that would give you how many pounds of product that you would need to apply for 1,000 square feet. And then you would need to uh, calibrate your spreader and uh, go out and mark out an area and actually see how much product you put out at a given setting over a thousand square feet.
1: Yeah. Um, Calibrating granule spreaders is important. It's a little bit challenging, but you can do it.
2: Yes. And it does take time to do it right. Uh, You know, we don't want to put on too much. Uh, It ends in our sewer systems or runoff uh, creates you know algae and things that we don't want to see in our water you know, want to keep our water source as clean as possible yeah
1: yeah so calculating incorrectly on the low side is better than calculating incorrectly on the high side
2: absolutely i mean you could always go back didn't put on enough and put on a second application if you had right to.
3: so jerry do you uh, do you fertilize your turf Yes, I do. I have the unique ability to have a guy that comes and does that for me. Oh, nice. And uh, he does some aeration and he does my fertilization. I fertilize my garden though. And when I calibrated my spreader, I just have a handheld spreader Mm -hmm. and my garden is about 50 by 50. So that's 2,500 square feet. So I calibrated it by weighing my spreader. And so that was about three pounds. So uh, I think I'm right in on, on top of that as, as a right thing to do. And for the garden, I'm spreading one of those a week. Is that
2: <laughs> because. Well, now, Jerry. Well, now, wait what, a minute. What, 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 now, what, what type of, uh, or what's the blend that you're using? That you're, 25, 5, 5. You're putting on way too much nitrogen. It, it, it's a jungle it out it's,
3: there. But it says it's four pounds for thousand square feet.
2: Yeah. And. Your garden does not need a lot of nitrogen. Maybe your sweet corn early on to get it going, but the other vegetables and everything, they're more interested in the phosphorus and the potash okay. and not so much nitrogen. I mean, you'll get a lot of growth, but you won't get a lot of fruit or vegetables set on.
3: All right. Well, good, good to know. <laughs> I'm going way too hard. So, so <laughs> cut back.
2: <laughs> and, and, actually, and actually change what you're putting on. You want something with, you know, putting this it's okay it's it's a it's a high nitrogen but then later on in the season if you want to apply more and you want something with a lot less nitrogen and more phosphorus and potash
1: so something that's more of an even blend like a 10 10 10 or 12 12 12 is that what you're talking about Yes. yes
3: yes okay so i did have a soil test and they said man you guys need a lot lot more nitrogen than what you've got and the uh, pH was 8.3, which is pretty high. And so that's why I went with the iron and the sulfur. Yes. Well, the iron and sulfur yes. is important. Yep. Yes. But that's a little too much. Too yeah, much. Yeah, that's a pretty strong hit in
2: nitrogen. Yes.
3: Okay. <laughs> All right. I'll slow way down then. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe skip three weeks before you think about flying again. <laughs> maybe once, once a month, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, even that's going to be more than enough. Even that's a little <laughs> much. all right
3: I'll stick to I'll put the rest of that on my pumpkin
2: well you're going to get a lot of vine and maybe not so much big pumpkin
3: yeah yeah it's going into the ground this weekend I think though
2: okay it's up a little
3: bit and we're going to plant that in the garden
1: since we had our last uh, frost free day this week maybe (laughs) (laughs) you might be okay (laughs) Gary before we get away from turf I have one more question for you Folks talk a lot about dethatching and aeration. Can you share with us what both of those are and why you would want to do either of them?
2: Okay, we'll talk about the thatch first. If you've got maybe a half inch of thatch, that's fine.
1: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. When you say thatch, what are you talking about?
2: Okay, that's a buildup of uh, organic matter uh, between the soil surface and uh, I want to say the crown of the, uh,
1: the crown, grass. The, growing, yeah. the growing point of the grass plant.
2: Mm-hmm. But, okay. but, but, but the roots are still reaching through and, and, and they're doing fine. If you get anything thicker than a half inch of thatch, that's going to be a detriment because your roots are growing in the thatch and not in the soil. And so, so that's we, where you would. want.
1: Do we have instances where we have a lot of thatch in our country?
2: i have not seen that much if at all okay this it just doesn't seem to build up up here or around in our area so
1: even even if you know every time you mow you are uh not bagging it you're allowing it to mulch itself back into it we just don't see thatch build up do we
2: no because uh, the 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 mulch or the grass clippings that you're putting back break down fairly quickly and over the course of the summer, you might gain a pound and a half of nitrogen from those grass clippings. So they're another nitrogen source for your turf, and it's an organic way to feed your lawn. Which
3: we've so, talked which we've talked about on other programs, right, Jerry? Absolutely. A pound <laughs> is about yeah. what what they give uh, by putting your grass back onto the onto the the turf. You're getting about a pound of nitrogen. Is that a, a year or is that a month?
2: You get a pound for the growing season throughout the summer. Through oh.
3: the growing season. Uh-huh.
2: Yes. Okay.
1: So we have we have thatch figured out. Uh, so we wanted to maybe talk about aeration.
2: That That's always a good thing. Uh, we want to try and do that early in the spring, although I wouldn't say now is too late or in the fall would be another good time. What that does, that opens up the soil, lets those uh, grass roots, breathe because they also need oxygen helps them expand their roots seen plenty of photos from the turf conferences and the programs that we've put on with Ted Kosky or Dr. Kosky from CSU's come over and spoke and he's shown when you aerate that opens up and uh, you could be amazed how deep those bluegrass roots can grow when that's opened up
1: okay so would you recommend aerating annually
2: about every other year every third year should be enough to do that Unless okay. you have a place in the lawn where the soil might be fairly heavy, you know, a heavy silt or maybe a heavy clay type soil, you might want to try and do that every year then, just to open that up a little bit better.
1: Okay. Uh, how, how does a lawn sprinkler system fare when you aerate? You have, do you have to go around and mark where all the heads are before you go on with go over it with an aerator?
2: Absolutely, you need to mark where you go around and do that. Otherwise you could knock your sprinklers out. Uh, maybe poke a hole in the in the sprinkler line, which wouldn't be good. So yes, go around uh, mark all your sprinkler heads before you try to do anything like that.
1: Okay. All right, um, so it might be a good idea to be early enough in the spring that when the uh, when you can actually turn your system on, mark all the heads, and then either have somebody run an aerator or uh, you can rent those types of uh, machines to do that yourself, correct?
2: Yes, yes, you can rent them okay. or have somebody else do it for you.
1: And usually, what? how does an aerator work? How? how I know it takes core plugs, I guess, um, about how deep does it go?
2: You know, you'd like to have it go at least a couple of inches deep. And then there's the one that's do the cores, and then there are those that do a spike. But uh, Oh, that just my,
1: punch my, a hole but, in it.
2: Yeah, but my preference is the cores, because that opens it up. Then if you needed to uh, put some new seed out, you could do that. Some of that seed will fall down in those holes. It's the right place for it It'll stay moist, uh, you know, while it comes on. The cores... You can sweep them up, but you don't have to because eventually over time they will break down and, uh, you know, help feed the feed the other grass. So,
1: so. would you fertilize after you aerated? You could. Okay. You
2: could. Absolutely.
1: Not, not, no. Not at Jerry's rate, but at the recommended rate. <laughs> not yeah, at
2: just, my rate. <laughs> just a recommended rate so. of one to one and a half pounds.
3: Okay, So Gary, all right, (laughs) me and the tiller and fertilization now. Uh, So so Gary, we have a little section that had been used as a driveway. And so that's the first area that always dries out in our lawn. So if you would aerate, you know, those little, little granules that you can put into a, a pot that is water loving, they swell up.
2: Yes, yes I, I believe I know what type of products you're talking about. If a, if, a guy
3: could, if a guy could aerate, would, would it behoove him to sprinkle some of those water-loving crystals out and go in, into those holes?
2: Uh, you got to remember, yes, it takes up water, but then the plant's got to exude energy to draw that water out of those crystals. What I would recommend is put a good compost out there.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, and uh, build up your soil so that it isn't as tight. Uh, you know, that compost will break down slowly, fertilize it a little bit, add some organic matter, uh, help build the soil structure so that it isn't as uh, tight or as tough as uh, as that area is. You know, make it more like the rest of your lawn.
3: Can you put that into a spreader, though, That that, uh, that compost?
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing that you could put on your lawn, maybe... It, it might get a little expensive, but uh, maybe putting a half inch of compost over your entire lawn uh, certainly will help it.
3: Huh. Well, can I talk about one other thing that I noticed in my lawn? I had a had a tree, and then we took it out, and so instead of a buildup, it's actually a dip. And how do you take care of dips in a lawn?
2: You're going to have to find somebody that has some good topsoil that she knows... Hopefully, fairly weed-free uh, doesn't have a lot any trash in it, and uh, just fill in that uh, spot and uh, put some new seed in and let her grow.
3: Now, have you ever heard about just cutting that, cutting a, a square? So you'd cut a line north and south, east and west, and then lift that up, and then put dirt in the in the in your divot, and then lay the grass back over. Oh, you already have turf oh, growing oh, in
1: the hole.
2: Okay, you already have turf. Okay, yeah, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, just uh, open the turf up, peel it back, like you said, and then uh, put some good soil in underneath it. Soil sand mix. You know, you want to make sure that you don't uh, that you get enough of the root system when you cut it to lay it back, so that you don't you know just cut your roots off of your grass and you and they don't have anything to grow back with.
3: How thick would yeah, you want that, that Gary? One.
2: Oh, you'd want at least an inch or better of a soil underneath there. I mean, you 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 want as much of that root, grass root mass as you can get. Now, so, I've got a situation, I'd have them take the tree out, and I've got, I just have the divot, and I don't have any grass, so I'm kind of, I put some new grass in, and or grass seed in, and I'm hoping, you know, it'll, it'll start to take eventually and fill that in.
1: Jerry, I would recommend that you um, rent a sod cutter, and cut the sod out, and then get enough uh, soil back in there so that you're up to grade and then put your sod back on. Oh yeah. You're doing your own own little reclamation project there, you know, right? I do
3: know that. (laughs) 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 But if I have these problems, I know that other people have them as well.
2: Sure. Sure.
1: sure. Yeah. And it's not a problem. It's just a, something you got to take care of. Yeah.
3: So the area that's underneath the swings, I don't mind having that little, little divot under the swing, but I I really don't like it out by the fence or where the lawnmower has to, you know, go down a, it's not a hole. It's, it's just a, well, yeah. So do you you and Myrna have a swing set that you guys play on Jerry? As a matter of fact, we do. (laughs) We (laughs) We have grandkids and they, you know, but every so often I sit down on the swing as well and and uh, pass, let let time pass us by and take a yeah. break have and a, I get up and mow the lawn again.
1: Have a little childhood memory. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we might be getting close to time to wrap up. Jerry, were there things that you would like to um, bring forward before we sign out today?
3: Yes. As a matter of fact, we had a uh, a, uh, a giant pumpkin seed giveaway, and I would like to congratulate Shannon Pickenpaw. He uh, correctly identified uh, our question about companion planting. And uh, I would like to, to shout out Gary Stone, our, our guest today. He actually also won a set of seeds. Well, thank you. You're, Congratulations, Gary. And Shannon as well. <laughs> yeah. And so um, we probably want to talk about the idea that pumpkins are going into the ground. You're not too late to plant pumpkins or giant pumpkins even. We want to enjoy all those all those bullock Orioles that we're seeing now by putting out a little grape jelly and oranges. We're getting more rhubarb. It's kind of like the zucchini season of rhubarb. <laughs> uh, so can I ask real quick, rhubarb, if the leaves are frozen, does that mean the stalk is now not good to eat? I've
2: heard of, that. I, I, would, I would think the stalk would still be okay. I mean, you're going to probably cook it anyway.
1: I would think so. I know ours are showing a little bit of hail damage. The stalks are, and Diane will go out and pull it and trim that up, and either wait for new or or use part, parts of it. Uh huh.
3: But I, I thought I heard something about if it was this if the leaves were frozen that made the plant poisonous something.
1: Well, the leaves are poisonous anyway, right? Right. I don't know if it uh, will affect the stock if the leaves are froze or not. Okay.
3: Have you seen something? Read something? I, I, well, again, that's that old like old wives' tale, you know, about okay. the cicadias. So that's that's. I was trying to see if you guys had some information about it.
2: I do not. I don't either.
3: That's a good topic for another day.
2: <laughs> All right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Gary, I've re- really enjoyed visiting with you. Thank you so much.
2: You bet. Both of you guys. Uh, sorry I missed the first go around, but uh, hopefully you'll have me back again sometime.
1: That's okay. We'll have you back again. i got to work on the rest of the schedule for june now
2: all righty you guys take care all
1: right talk to you later all right bye thank you for being on the program thanks everybody for listening
0: you've been listening to lawn and garden with university of wyoming extension specialist jeff edwards and co-host jerry ershebek next week we welcome joyce evans the mayor of fort laramie thanks for listening